0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. First off, there is no Dalton Beldon today. This is going to be a solo podcast. He is on vacation, which he informed me of this morning. Not that I had any big plans for the day or anything, but gonna just do the podcast solo. Keep it going. I don't know if it's gonna be noticeable, but... I got a new microphone. The uh, Some of the RotoWire guys are complaining about the sound quality. And so I splurged, well, RotoWire splurged for a nice new microphone for me. We also moved podcasting platforms. I don't think it's going to be any different for you guys. I think you'll get the download from the exact same place. You're not going to notice, but a lot of new things I got to figure out how to uh, post in the new system. So I'm looking at my draft board from the NFBC main event and. Already, there's players that you regret drafting and that are a mistake for where you drafted them. I mean, we don't know. It's been a week, and you don't want to draw huge conclusions over small samples, but there's some players that, if you were to redraft, would fall substantially from where they went. So round one's obvious. I'm looking at my main event. Sean Childs, he took Fernando Tatis with the second overall pick. It's not his fault. He couldn't have known. But that is the one mistake so far. I'm looking at all the other first-round picks. I can't really see a mistake in there. They all look more or less so far okay. Then you look at round two. I'm trying to see if there's a clear mistake in round two. I'm looking, well, Alberto Mondesi, he's hurt. But he could be back in like a week or two, so that might not be that bad. Other players, oh, Eloy Jimenez, Eric Heberling, round two. Obviously, that was a mistake. Not his fault, again, but that's a disaster pick. All right, round three, the pick you wanted to avoid. Let's take a look. Let's see if we get to any of my picks. Not me so far. I have Soto, Kershaw, Snell, first three rounds. Not that Snell's been great, but it's been okay. Tim Anderson, round three. He's already got a hamstring injury, already on the DL. Zach Gallen, round three, on the DL. Those are two guys in round three that have crushed you. Nobody else, really, you could say is a mistake, So far, round four, I'm looking at it. George Springer already had the oblique and now he's got a quad problem. That's looking kind of bad, although he could be back. Aaron Judge is banged up, though he's day to day. Other picks in round four that look like a grave mistake, I don't see any yet, besides those two. Round five, I'm looking at it. Any horrible mistakes? I took Moncada. I took. Glaber Torres in round four. Neither has done anything, but... Oh, Kettle Marte just left with a hamstring injury last night. He was crushing it. Looked like a great pick, but now that he should be out a while. It did not look good had to get helped off the field, apparently. So that's a mistake. Any of the other guys? No, not really. Rizal Iglesias in round... The end of round five looks a little uh, early. He's blown a couple saves, but not that big of a deal. Hasn't lost the job yet. Max Freed. Got shelled yesterday in round six. That looks like a mistake. Looking at some of these other picks. Some of these are actually pretty good. Jose Barrios dealt. I'm looking. I took Victor Robles. Stole a base from me last night, but just barely started playing. Jesus Lazardo's looked shaky. That wasn't terrible as last start. Oh, Luke Voigt out for a month or so. Round six. That was a mistake. I mean, a mistake not at the time, but just ended up being a guy that would drop a lot. From where he he went. Okay, round seven. I'm looking at I knew Trent Grisham had a hamstring injury. He would have been more expensive had he not. So as long as he comes back Friday, that's fine. That's who I took. I'm looking at the rest of the round. Kenley Jansen. Velocity's been, I don't know if it's the velocity that's been down, but he's been unable to throw a strike. He's looking very shaky in round seven. That may end up being a mistake. Can't say for sure yet. Andres Jimenez, batting ninth. Not necessarily been playing every day. That looks like a shaky pick. That was already kind of early for him. Nelson Cruz looked like a good pick in round seven. I'm looking. No, no one else in round seven. It's a real problem. Round eight, uh, Kirby Yates. Someone took Kirby Yates in round eight. Out for the year. Obviously, that's bad. Then right after him, Trevor Rosenthal. Out for the year. Man, I bitch about my bad luck. But (laughs) I've actually not been as unlucky as some of these guys. Who else? Looks like a bust in these rounds. Okay, Brian Hayes is a little banged up, but doesn't sound that serious. Should be back. I took Stanton. He's got a home run, but hasn't been very good. Uh, Heberlig took Brad Hand, who hasn't really pitched yet, but shouldn't be a long-term problem. All right, round nine. Let's see if there's any error. Sixto Sanchez for Heberlig. That looks bad. Already uh, dealing with uh, shoulder discomfort. It sucks you have to hold on to these guys because they're uh, problematic. I took Matt Olson, who's been got a knee bruise, missed a couple games. But I'm not too concerned yet, but could turn into something. James Karinchak, that was a bad pick. Not even the closer. Maybe he'll be the closer, but that was a bad pick. I'm looking at this. Yep, the rest of these guys are fine. Round 10, Ramon Lariano. That actually looks like a good pick now. He's been stealing a ton of bases. I think he leads the majors to four. Who else in this round? Looks like a big mistake. Nick Anderson, he's out. That was a big mistake by Masato. So he's out for the year indefinitely. So that's, that's not good. Who else? Um, I'm looking at wow, Christian Vasquez. Looks like a good pick now. I took Matt Chapman. He's been terrible. Finally hit a home run last night. Frankie Montas got destroyed by the Dodgers. Eh, it's one bad outing. on Good hitting team. Round 11. I'm looking Jordan Hicks. He could end up closing, but I don't like that in round 11. The fact that he's not closing yet. Um, who else looks like a bad pick? Patrick Corbin hasn't pitched. I took him in 11. Otani looks like a great pick in round 11 of the main event. I'm looking. Any huge mistakes in round 11? No, not that I can really see. Garrett Hampson looks like a good pick at the end of round 11, someone I was looking at. Uh, round 12, let's see if there's any disastrous mistakes. Not that I can see. I took Gavin Lux. I'm happy with that so far. My team's in second to last place, by the way, so I'm talking all his yang, but... My team hasn't done anything so far. Emilio Pagan, that's a mistake, not the closer. Mike Soroka had a setback. That's a mistake. Round 13, any other mistakes so far? I'm looking. Um, Just a bunch of guys who were... I took uh, Greg Holland. That looks pretty bad. He's been horrible. I guess he's still the closer, but we don't know. Anthony Bass got shelled. Another weak closer. Looking at some of these other guys in uh, in this round. Amir Garrett got shelled yesterday, which I enjoyed very much. I love that. When a guy I don't have gets put in in a non-save situation, get work situation, gets blown up, that's just great. got It's incredibly enjoyable. Plus, it means he won't be available for the next save opportunity if it comes in the next day or two. And if someone else pitches well, Lucas Sims pitches well, then maybe he doesn't get it back. And uh, I like that. I like that people paid for something they didn't get. You got to root against everybody. Right? It's a zero-sum game. It's not just my players doing well. It's your players doing poorly. I can't win unless your players really do poorly. A couple good picks. Jake McGee in round 15 he has got a win in a couple of saves already. Looking at uh, uh, David Price, who I was going to take that round, but I didn't. Uh, round 14, I took Richard Rodriguez. That was fine. Price uh, has got, gotten knocked around and is not even a starter at this point. Josh Donaldson on the DL in round 14 was a bad pick. So... Anyway, that's just about 15 rounds of the draft. I'm just looking at where the minefields were. And as I said, my team's in second to last place, even though it, it didn't really hit any of the minefields. But part of that is just Juan Soto, Robles, Corbin, barely playing and Grisham not playing yet and some slow starts. I'm not sweating it too much. I was forced to put uh, Bumgarner in uh, <laughs> this week. I wasn't forced, but you know the whole Corbin COVID thing, I don't really understand the COVID rules, but it seems like, if you just are even like a contact guy, you need a minimum of a week. So I, if if Corbin wasn't on the roster, he had to be on the COVID list because where else can you put him? You can't release him or take him off the 40, man. So they had to put him on the COVID list. I think it's a minimum of seven days, even if he didn't have it. So I put Bumgarner in in Coors, which I really did not want to do. And he, uh, I mean, it it could have been worse. He had four strikeouts, five run runs in five innings, 10 base runners. So it was a negative. But barely, because I got four strikeouts. I, you know, obviously, if I knew this was going to happen exactly this way, I'd probably have just gambled on Corbin, maybe pitching Sunday. But who knows? If Corbin pitches Sunday and deals, I'll be pissed. I'll be really pissed. It's annoying, right? I mean, this COVID, how juice the baseball is, the humidors, the whether they're going to investigate the pine tar. It doesn't seem like they've investigated Cole or Bauer. Those guys just seem just fine. I was concerned about that. It seems like the ball is flying. Is as juiced as ever. I know home runs are ever so slightly down the first week, but that's kind of noise. It's just a very small sample. It seems like balls are taking off. Exit velocities are really high. So um, I'm assuming we're in a, a hitter-friendly environment. So fantasy baseball, man. I even actually enjoy doing my fab, I have to say. Uh, normally I dread fab. By midsummer. it's just like I'm trying to relax, do something else, and I'm like, oh, man, I got all this fab I got to deal with. But first couple weeks it's actually fun. I'm actually looking into the players I want to pick up, getting kind of excited about it. It's a little stressful, you know, the bids. You never know what to bid on players. Sometimes I set my fab and I feel, "Okay, that's good. I set it." And then I take one last look and I completely change my mind on half the players. I think, "Why was I? Why am I bidding so high on this guy? He's It's not even guaranteed to play." And you see things from a completely different angle than you did. An hour ago, it's uh, it's bad. It happens in DFS too when you when like a lineup change causes you to redo your lineup, and then you, the thing that you have doesn't even resemble the lineup you started with. Anyway, it is what it is. Baseball uh, torture, but enjoying it for now. I have I have one league that and I'm actually going to blame this on Jeff Erickson. I think he should take responsibility for this. But I had done my main event team. I was happy with it. Felt like I'd picked my guys. I felt good about myself. Was aggressive. Felt very prepared. And I thought, you know, should I do a Beat Chrysalis 3? I don't know. And Jeff said, yeah, come on, you're on a roll, man. You'd be a nutless monkey not to do a Beat Chrysalis 3. So I emailed Greg Ambrosius. We set it up. I do it. I know we're going away for the weekend to this little cottage that we rent. And I bring my laptop, which it's a laptop. It doesn't. I don't have my two big monitors, which I have in my desk, which... I use one to have a spreadsheet with the latest ADP as my cross-off list so that all the guys who recently became closers or got bumped up for one reason or another or down are properly sorted in the list. But I was like, I know the I know the pool so well, I'll just, I probably told this last podcast, but who cares? I'll tell it again. I just went off, you know, my my laptop has one screen. I didn't want to be toggling between them. So I basically just went off the NFPC ADP and started adding guys to my queue to... You know to, to remind myself who was where and I missed all these players I just totally botched it and the first pick I had the third pick in that draft and it was of course it was Fernando Tatis so talked to Stefania Bell today on XM she's basically like, well he could be back but he could his shoulder could pop out again and again because he swings hard and when he misses that's when it would happen. so I'm not optimistic about it but when, when you have a team like that when you have like your first pick who's on the ropes already this week. So, so far, fantasy baseball, I was kind of mocking Jeff for drafting Sandy Alcantara in so many places. I thought, where's he reading about that? What's he, where's he getting his intel from? He's thinking about like trends, like his K rate was slightly better and a seven-start sample. I don't know what he's talking about, but (laughs) through two starts, uh, Sandy Alcantara has 17 Ks, four walks, and 12 innings, 150 ERA, .83 WHIP. So, I won't take the L to Erickson early, but it's not looking good for me. And now I'm he's one of those guys that I'm, you know, I'm not happy about seeing do well on, on everybody else's team, especially Erickson's teams. And and as I said, Dalton probably has Woodruff. So those are the guys I'm rooting against the most. You know, you think like as you know, my co host, I should be happy for Erickson. He's doing if he has a good year or maybe he'll win some money for once, or Dalton Del Don has a good year, I should be happy for him. He's my co host, the guys who helped me at work, you know they're my partners and what we do. And uh, no, it's totally not like that. I, I truly hope those guys have abysmal seasons, fail miserably. Unless RotoWire, we do get a piece. We actually do get a piece of, uh, of the winning. So in that case, I wouldn't mind if Jeff makes us some money, wins the overall. Yeah, because I'll get, I'll get a piece of that. We take some of it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything Anyway, all right, that's baseball. I don't really know what else. Sam Darnold did get traded. Forgot about that. He got traded to the uh, Panthers. And I mean, I actually think, uh, and as much as I crap on Darnold on this podcast and on Twitter, I actually think that there's some upside. I ranked him like 24th or something. And I may even have a share because it seems like the the Carolina Brain Trust kind of knows what it's doing with the offense. They got a decent amount out of DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, even with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know why they signed Bridgewater. But Darnold, I think in the end he's not consistent enough, but he showed signs. He made plays. So I won't write him off entirely. Kind of kind of interested in in Darnold. Not like a, in a serious way, but a little bit. But anyway, as I said, my heart's not that much in football yet. I'm, I'm into baseball. As torturous as baseball. As baseball's torturous not only because there's just so many players and so much going on and so many games every day. But it's such a slow accumulation. In one sense, you're like trailing in saves or strikeouts. You start to slip. But on the other, it takes so long to solidify your your gains too. So I had a league once a few years ago that was in first place in the overall. It was first overall in the NFBC Maine in May. And you're like, great, first place overall. And I think it finished like ninth in its league that year totally collapsed. It's not enough. It's bad to be behind. It's not enough to be ahead. Maybe there's a, a metaphor in that somewhere. All right. Some non-sport stuff. I finished this book, The Alchemy of Air, which I was reading. It was pretty good. I give it a B plus, maybe A minus. It's about, so it was about some crazy stuff like how essentially humanity was going to starve or a substantial portion of it because there was not enough fertilizer for the soils And that human farming had depleted most of the nitrogen from the soils. And these guys in Germany were finally able to, well, it started, they started importing this fertilizer from Chile and Peru and this island off the coast of it, which had all these like bat droppings and bird droppings that were incredibly nitrogen rich and were being shipped by the the tons to to Northern Europe and they needed it. And it was also used to make weapons too, gunpowder. But that stuff was expensive and there was a war fought over it. And eventually, these chemists in Germany were able to because there's there's the earth's atmosphere, what we're breathing in is mostly nitrogen. It's got some oxygen, but it's mostly nitrogen. That's the most common gas in the air. But there's no way to turn it into a usable form uh, without a lot of energy being put in. And they devised an ingenious way, painstakingly, to separate the nitrogen from the air and turn it into ammonia which could then be converted into fertilizer and weapons. And uh, I don't know, it was a pretty good story, but it really, it shows you like how dogged these guys were. You know, we can't get a goddamn thing done these days. We can't build a train from you know LA to San Francisco that works. We can't get anything done. This infrastructure bill is going to be a giveaway to cronies and just like the California one, it's not going to get done. But these guys got stuff done. I mean, incredible stuff in a totally different era with far less technology than we have and the, the will to get it done and the experimenting and the iterating things and trying until it worked was, it's just—it's it's a cool story. But in the end, I don't want to give it away. Um, in the end, it, while it obviously changed the world and now there's an abundance of crops and food because of that invention and they use, I think, still the same techniques to basically fertilize most of the planet's food. But, it those people things intervened like World War II and Nazi Germany it intervened in their project so in one way like the the book was about the incredible ingenuity of these guys and the drive that they had but on the other it was like the futility even though they succeeded they did like the most incredible thing they basically got food from the air they basically took the air and used it to feed the entire planet they were overwhelmed by the Local tides of their country, what was going on there? So I don't know. It's just sort of a in in, in a sense, it's like a bit inspiring because you, you're like, well, I got to keep at what I'm doing. I got to you know have that sort of dogged, relentless testing and trying things, and if you fail, you know, go into the next thing, and until it works. But on the other, you know, those guys were in for a, a dark surprise at the end so you know it's uh the way things are going now it makes you wonder there's nothing else you can really do but the uh it it is in one way like people are very powerful in in the sense they can shape their destiny if they put the right dedication to it devotion to it and the other you're completely at the whims of the environment around you but it was a pretty good book give it a b plus maybe a minus I enjoyed it. I learned some stuff from it too about chemistry and history. Anyway, uh, just I went on kind of a Twitter Twitter rant today, and we talked about it last week. I'm I'm just very much against any sort of you have to show your papers to get into this restaurant or to go to a baseball game or to a concert. I think people, if they want to get vaccinated, absolutely should get vaccinated. And the disease, the fatality rate is like point two percent or something. And the vaccine apparently reportedly is 90% effective. So that would be 0.02%. And now we're talking less than the flu. And we never you know, made people show papers because they might have the flu secretly or they might still have the flu or they didn't get their flu shot. And I just I just don't want to live in a society where the government can keep asking you to prove that you're not a threat, to prove that you're not sick. And it's alarming to me the way that people have bought the propaganda around this i mean it's you know the the statistics are available publicly of of the severity of the disease and the vaccine apparently is working there's a vaccine there's some treatments just seems like okay good hopefully it works well and get back to it um i don't i i mean i think it's clear what's happening there's a lot of fear out there and, and there's also uh an interest in fear mongering by those who benefit from it. And there's obviously a lot of industries that have arisen around testing and all that. But I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I think it's just never has the state, especially in democratic Western nations had the kind of control over the population that it does now. They've never been able to tell you when you can leave your house, when you can come back for a whole year, you know, who you can see, how many people you can visit with. They've never been able to lock people down. And you have to see how convenient that is, especially if things are going badly, if the economy were going badly, if if you know maybe the a, a market failure happened, if something happened so that a, a large swath of the population, which I know people feel this way, were abandoned or ignored or struggling a lot, um, there could be unrest. A police shooting could be unrest, and that's. Difficult for politicians and people who have things to protect, and so the type of surveillance and control that they could get is unprecedented, and so it's hard for them to give that up. And you know, it's I, I must have mentioned this last week, but um, Michael Krieger, a guy I follow on Twitter, posted a an excerpt from a book, and it was about a German in uh, Nazi Germany, and it was it was before Nazi Germany. It was when Hitler had taken over, but it was 1933. And they started just taking more and more control of everything, incrementally passing laws, making things little by little more state-controlled. I talked about it last week, but it occurred to me, someone could easily say, well, okay, fine, but come on, that's, that's Hitler. That's the most extreme case. The odds that you know Joe Biden is not Hitler. Come on, be real, dude. Boris Johnson is not Hitler. Be real. This is not happening, it's not Hitler. And I actually I agree and I don't agree. Of course I agree that, you know, we're not that's the most extreme case. But what I don't agree with is that there's not totalitarianism in a lot of places. If you have the power, if there's power, bad things will happen. I I guess that's that's the point. It's not about Hitler or the personality or, or who it is. That totalitarianism is actually the rule where power gets extremely concentrated. You know, there's the, the old Lord Acton saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you see it throughout the world when one group has complete power over another group. You have things like slavery. You have things like genocide. You have things like feudal feudalism and serfdom. That humanity, historically, when one group gets complete power abuses that power. That's just the nature of a lot of history. Look at Stalin, look at Lenin, look at Mao, look at history, look at so, you know, there's so many examples that when there's too much centralized power, something horrible happens. The the counterweight to that is when the citizens have enough power that the government's a little bit scared of them and they cannot bully them around. When the power is dispersed, among many, when the citizens have power, when the government is afraid of the citizens, you have democracy. You have people arguing about what's right. You start to make your point. Someone disagrees. You persuade. Persuasion, not coercion. When there's power, you don't need to persuade. Coercion is easier. Persuasion is hard. Persuasion takes effort. Coercion, if you have the power, is much easier. You just make them go along. And so I, I, to me, that's the question, right? I mean, think people should get vaccines it's the best thing to do then persuade them make your case 90% effective you know people who have done it you can ask them about it how their experience was they can make the case and if people agree that that's a good idea then they're going to do it the thing to fear is giving away too much power because power is always abused and people think well you know what's the big deal i just get this stupid i get the stupid passport i use it i've got it it's fine you know, now we go back to normal. But it's not really how it works, right? You know, people just assume that if you do what you're told, if you do what the terrorist wants, if you do what the person in power, the person with the gun wants, if you do what the person with the gun wants, then he'll say, okay, great. You did what I wanted. Now we're good. But why wouldn't he just ask you to do something else? He's still got the gun. Now, I would do what he wants if he gives me the gun in exchange. If we make an exchange, I'll do what you want and you give me the gun. But if he still has the gun, then... Why am I doing what he wants? Why does, why would you be trained to think that doing what he wants is going to get him to give up the power? And if he still has the power, then he's going to ask you to do more. So to me, that's just, it's obvious. And so if you submit and say, okay, fine, fine, I want to get back to normal. I'm sick of these lockdowns. Everybody's sick of them. I'm going to get the passport. And then you do it. And they say, well, okay, great. Back to normal. Up oh, there's another weird flu going around. It's pretty strong. People are dying. Yep. A lot of people in this other country are dying. We're getting reports. You're going to need to get that one too. I'm sorry. You're going to need to get it if you want to go to the grocery store. Okay. I'll get that one up. There's a terrorist attack. Listen, we've been looking at social media posts. We're not sure who supports this group. It's domestic. We don't know what your politics are. We need to verify that you're not one of these people. I, I, we don't want to have to do it, but we got to keep people safe. If they still have the gun, that is never going to be, it's never going to be over. It's never going to be over. The way it ends is you say no. We're not doing it. And they can try to make you, but if everybody says no, it will fail. And then that's the end. And you've regained your power, you've asserted your own rights, and it's over. And you still go get the vaccine if you want and reduce the risk, but to surrender your your rights to somebody who still has the gun is just dumb. It's just dumb. It's a bad idea. It's wrong. It's And and you know what? Who do you think is going to get stopped for their papers, right? We have problems with who the police pull over. Who do you think gets pulled over by the police more often? Well, who do you think is going to get searched for their papers also? Probably won't be me. But I don't want to live in a society where they're doing that to anybody. So to me, you you just got to say no to that. And these people, I mean, I can't even believe on Twitter, I got an exchange where one guy was like, it's not a big ask, you know, to wear a mask and to do this. And I just think, the asks will never end. They asked you to wear a mask. They asked you to lock down for two weeks. Then it was a year. Then it was to wear a mask. Then some people are double masking. Then it's to have your papers. What makes you think this is the last ask? I, I just, I don't understand. And they 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 seem to act like this is the most deadly, you know, this is bubonic plague times Ebola. This has a 0.2% fatality rate, which is high, by the way, with the number of people in the world. But then the vaccine makes 10% of that which is less than the flu. Assuming the vaccine works as claimed, it's 10% of that. So I I just, I don't see how people are so fearful when they used to go and live their lives when there was a flu that killed whatever the percentage is, you know, more than 0.02%. Maybe my numbers are slightly off. Oh, a couple other uh, notes from uh, subscribers, listeners. Uh, First off, if you enjoy the podcast, you can can rate it, you can like it uh, on uh, iTunes. And also you can... uh, if you have not yet subscribed to rotowire rotowire.com slash pod is a free 10 day trial totally free you don't need a credit card if you end up signing up it's nice if you mention the podcast it just promotes the uh the the success of the podcast to the site itself which is good just makes me have to play less defense also got a couple of uh messages from people oh braxton angle one of our uh, listeners he had a he had a topic suggestion and uh I guess, and I haven't really followed it that closely, um, but Coinbase is doing its IPO and it's going to IPO for a ton of money. Uh, And I guess there's a a backlash on Bitcoin Twitter because there's sort of a debate over KYC, which is know your customer. And for sites like Coinbase or Cash App, you have to give them a lot of info before they'll let you exchange, you know, exchanges like that before they'll let you buy. And government wants to know who's doing what and Coinbase plays ball. And so there's sort of a debate on whether KYC is good. I think there's like a I think BISC is what it's called. I, I could be wrong. But BISC is like a peer-to-peer where you could buy Bitcoin from an actual person uh, and not, not KYC. You know, you just send the fiat for the Bitcoin and deal is done anonymously. And ideally, that would be the case, right? Like, why is your money anybody else's business, right? I mean, I, it's, it's just like the vaccine passports in a way. It's like, I'm not a terrorist. I don't have to prove to you that I'm not a terrorist. I'm just taking some funds. Why do I have to report to the government that I'm taking funds? I'm, I'm clean with the IRS. I, I pay my taxes, but they want to know and they want to control it. So I totally see why there is a, a very anti-KYC fashion to Bitcoin and why they um, are attacking Coinbase for being that. On the other hand, um, if you want to have an IPO, uh, if you want to scale it big, you um, maybe playing ball to some extent helps. I don't know the answer to that. I've, I've struggled with this in my own life. How much to play ball, how much to do my own thing. In my own life, I've learned that uh, the more I do my own thing, the better. I mean, you, you can't, you have to respect other people and that other people have different views of the world than you do. People that you work with, people that you partner with. But I think the more that you accept that you are creative and unique person who has certain aims and beliefs and the less you sort of do things the way you think you're supposed to do them or other people expect of you I think the more success you'll have like I think the more fruit it will bear not like I'm some crazy success but just to the extent to which I've I feel like I've connected with people and I've connected with you know and and even things like the XM show where we used to fight battles for not taking phone calls which we never wanted to take and and eventually they said, okay, fine. Don't worry about it. Um, or, you know, eventually they leave you alone if you if you believe in what you're doing and sincere about it. And I feel like you got to push sometimes. But again, that book I read, Alchemy of Air, these guys pushed hard and made incredible things. But in the end, in some ways they still got got. So I don't know. It was a, life is not controllable in that sense. It's... Controllable in one sense, but not in there. But anyway, back to the uh, the KYC debate. Bitcoin. I'd rather it not. I'd rather not have KYC, and I'd rather steer business toward places that don't demand it. But it's hard, and I don't know. I, I, I'm not I'm not hardcore about it. But you know, if I had a choice, I would have nobody knowing my business. The only reason I even talk about it, I don't even talk about it much on Twitter, because if I were a criminal, I'd be scouring Twitter for for uh, Bitcoin tweeters and try to cross-reference it with the hacks to different databases and you know, and go after those people. So I, I don't keep it off Twitter. I, the only reason I talk about it on this is because it's such a huge thing for me. I think it's so important. I think it's, I think in some ways, Bitcoin is the asymmetric technology, cryptography and how it's applied with Bitcoin that will decentralize power in a way where the people cannot be abused by the central government. So in a way, I think this is the solution to what's happening. And as the governments start to lose hold of the thread, they're going to crack down harder and harder, and you're going to get horrible ideas like vaccine passports, and they're going to use fear to sell it to a gullible population, and uh, and people are going to go along with it. I think a, a lot of people are going to be duped, sort of the uh, somewhat edu- the educated idiots who easily fall for stuff like that. And I think most people, though, even many educated people are going to see that this is not correct, but they're going to be scared to say something because we're obviously in an environment where you're not supposed to talk about this stuff. I'm probably not supposed to talk about this stuff. So, but I am. We'll see what happens. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Uh, next week, Dalton Don will be back. We'll see how this new mic sounds, how it turns up and uh, take care.